another season in the books the podcast featuring european professional athletes who pursue their university degrees at home or in the united states we'll talk about the ups and the downs the pros and the cons we'll hear from each athlete as they talk about their journey through academics and athletics i'll also be talking to coaches and getting their opinion on the subject as well i'm your host leslie knight 11-year veteran in Spain's professional basketball leagues, Liga Femenina 2 and La Liga Endesa. Let's get to it! Hello everyone, I hope you're doing well. This week's interview is going to be a little different. Today, we are featuring the American professional basketball player, Alfredo Ott III. Fredo has been playing professionally in Europe since graduating in 2005 with a degree in visual arts from Dillard University in New Orleans, Louisiana. He has played in England and Spain, having much success over the past 15 seasons. Currently, Fredo is playing his second season in Orense, Spain, competing in Leb Oro, or the Gold Division. He's passionate about basketball, but also dedicates a fair amount of his time to art and has managed to pursue his love for painting while playing and living abroad. Fredo has had a long and prosperous professional career, and I would argue that his positive attitude, work ethic, open mind, and attention to personal care have had a lot to do with his longevity. Towards the end of the interview, we talk about his perspective referencing the American system and the European system, why he wears the number 21, and what foods he misses from back home. Alfredo Ott III, let's get to know him. Good afternoon, Fredo from Orense. Thank you for uh, making time for me today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And yourself? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing great. Can't complain. Um, but uh, just to get this started, let us tell us about your first sports memory when you were a little kid. My first sports memory was uh, boxing because when I was little, um, my mom took us over to her friend's house and they had Rocky on and was you know the training montage was going on <laughs> and, uh, classic and I, yeah classic and i was just so like excited about you know the whole training like them working out and the muscles you know and the boxing and you know i was i was just excited about it and um so ever since then i i would try to find all of the rocky movies and i watched them and i did everything rocky did in all the movies <laughs> so it was is my favorite movie, you know, growing up, and it still it is. So uh, that was my first uh, memory. Was now that I have uh, nieces and nephews, I'm imagining a little Fredo uh, <laughs> pretending to box in his house, you know, watching the movie and. <laughs> exactly, I had boxing gloves and everything. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so, yeah. would you say that you grew up in a sports-oriented um, family? Uh, yes and no. Um, my first cousin, uh, Vaughn played baseball. So, uh, I, I kind of, I guess I kind of looked up to him for, for a moment because he was the only person that was playing sports at the time. Uh, I think my, my uncle, uh, ran track and played football too, but I didn't see him get to, I didn't get to see him do that. Um, but I did see my cousin play. So he kind of got me interested in baseball. And um, so that's where I started was baseball. And uh, yeah. That's and your sister is older or younger? Older. She's two years older. Okay. And she wasn't playing any sports? Nope. She was a dancer. So uh, I didn't really look up to that. but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Just keeping it real. Okay. <laughs> keeping it real. She did that. Actually, we did gymnastics together when I was like five or something like that. Okay. And um, and uh, uh, yeah, so we started that, and um, but that didn't last too long. <laughs> hey, dancing, we might not consider it a sport per se, but it's intense. And oh, they practice I mean, a lot, and you have to be strong and flexible, and I mean, they are athletes. You do, you do. And I'm not going to say that I didn't consider it a sport. I just wasn't something that I was interested in at the time. Right. So. Okay. Yeah. So when did you start playing basketball and how did you get into that? Basketball happened because, okay, so I started baseball at like four and um, I was playing baseball up until maybe seven or eight. And um, 
I think I had a I had a reaction to like the the dirt, the red dirt with like in my eyes, my eyes are turned red. So my mom brought me to the doctor, and you know I, I don't know. It's just, <laughs> Some reason she thought it was gonna be, uh, you know, uh, a problem. So I kind of stopped playing a little bit, and I started playing. Uh, she took me to a, a camp with basketball skills camp. You know, you do dribbling, shooting, passing, all that kind of stuff. And I was just excited, and I loved it from the first day because it was more action. You know, baseball, you kind of just stand and you know look around. And I didn't really think baseball was boring at the time until I stopped and started playing <laughs> basketball. Then I realized, what have I been doing? You know, <laughs> I could have been running around all, all this time. And I was, you know. Picking dandelions uh, in the outfield. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, but I did like to pitch and I, you know, but you know, you weren't always the pitcher when you played little, so. Um, so that was how I started playing uh, basketball. And I actually did, I started at nine uh, playing basketball, and I actually did football similarly around the same time. Um, but I only did football two years because my mom said I didn't have enough time uh, to do homework and play football at the same time. So uh, okay, so basketball stuck. <laughs> All right, so basketball has been your sport since a pretty young age. Yeah, yeah. My first, actually, my first basketball. I want to say memory. I mean, I do remember seeing Grant Hill like do a spin move and a dunk <laughs> when I was young, and that was like exciting to me, and I just kind of stuck with it, you know. Was that in person or was that on television? On television, he was playing oh. at Duke, and uh, yeah, I was just watching. But... Okay. So then you get into high school, and you're by this point you're taking basketball pretty seriously, um, and the recruiting process. I wonder how old were you when that started? Uh, I'd say after my sophomore year, you just kind of get letters just, you know, just by just getting them. It wasn't anything serious or anything like that. Um, my junior year, I'd say it was a little more serious. I'm not saying I didn't have like all the D1s, you know, recruitment and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I had like uh, what Stephen F. Austin, Holy Cross, you know, NYU. And a couple of schools like that that would recruit me. Uh, I didn't know anything about the recruiting process. Um, my stepdad uh, had kids that played sports. They were much older. So he had been kind of through the process a little bit. Um, so he helped me a little bit. But um, like, I didn't know how to respond to letters, you know, uh, whether I was supposed to call them back or, <laughs> or what, or just take the letters and say, oh, I got a letter, you know. So I didn't know what to do, and our my high school coach, I would say he wasn't too helpful with that. So, you know, nothing ever really stuck, or nobody ever really stayed that much because of it. You know, I kind of they kind of sent letters, and then I guess I don't know if they thought I wasn't interested or what. Then they stopped. You know, so it was it was kind of weird, but um, you know, I don't know, it happened like that. It's an overwhelming process. Yeah. Especially if you don't have anybody that's gone through it before you, um, it's a lot. It is, and you don't know what to do because <laughs> they called. <laughs> we were at practice one time, and and Holy Cross called like uh, they called the gym, and we were in the middle of practice, and the phone rang, and they were like, "Fredo, it's telephone for you." Ah, in the middle of practice. In the middle of practice, and I, I was like, "Hello, how are you?" I didn't know what to say, you know, like. They said, oh, we're just keeping an eye on you, checking on you, see how you're doing or whatever. Didn't know what to do. Didn't, you know, I just talked to him and went back to practice, you know, no follow-ups. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And at the same time, I mean, from what it sounds like, your mom, I mean, she was pushing you academically. So throughout high school, did you feel like it was easy to balance the two worlds or was that a, was that a struggle? High school was, was, was fairly easy because we had study hall after school. So we would practice late around like 7.30. So we finished school, I want to say almost around 3. Um, then the freshman team would practice right after school because they were younger so they could get home early. Then the JV would practice and then we would go after the JV. But all the time that they were practicing, we were in study hall doing homework. So we had time to finish our homework 
before we went to practice and um, and go home, you know, and just, you know, do whatever. So okay. high school was, was fairly easy. When you were in high school, were you already, I'm assuming you were experimenting creatively with art? Or did that start at a really young age too? Well, I would say art started at a young age because my, my grandfather was an artist and he, um, I would go over to their house and we would see, I would see all of his paintings. He used to paint like um, floats, like the Mardi Gras floats at the carnival. Oh, really? So he would have all that stuff set up in his, uh, in his house, you know, and I would see all of it and, you know, and he would always watch these nature documentaries. Like you like do that. now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's where I got it from. He started me with, with that. Every time I go over there, he had National Geographic Discovery Channel on, and he had these zoo books with all the animals. Uh, and every time I went there, I would just take out the books and look at all of them and stuff like that. So he really got me started with art in high school. Uh, junior high, I had art class um, at school, and my high school didn't have an art program. So really? I went... I went all of high school with no art classes whatsoever. Um, wow. The art classes that were offered were off campus. Um, and it was during the time we had practice. And it's called NOCA. It's a, an art program uh, that they have in, in New Orleans for, you know, talented and gifted artists, whatever. So you would have to leave, you know, school or go to that, you know, program outside of, school to if you didn't have art at your school or if you wanted to do more uh, art for yourself so high school i just had to do you know whatever if i felt like doing it i'd do it if not you know i didn't really get to do much and i wasn't really pushed in high school as far as art goes so right yeah i was disappointed about that a little bit and all the paintings your grandfather's paintings of the floats where are those now Whatever happened to the floats? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we have some of his paintings. We lost quite a few in in Katrina in the storm because their house you know, got flooded. So we lost quite a bit. But we have a few of his paintings. And then some people that uh, I guess he gave to or sold to, they have some. And we have pictures of most of the stuff. So okay. we have a few at, at, our, at our house. But the floats, I'm I have no idea. I'm imagining, I'm imagining like a big canvas that's so full of color and like activity and energy, you know, I mean, I've never been to uh, New Orleans and I've never been to Mardi Gras, but I have stereotypes in my head of what I think it is, you know, Um, I don't know, those must be really beautiful. Yeah, he has, um, the floats were like, I don't know if you know what a float is, but it's like a it's a bit of like trucks and they yeah, go. like any parade. Yeah. Come on yeah, now, like give me some credit. <laughs> well, I'm just making sure. <laughs> so he would paint like, you know, the sides like it would be like these big carnival faces or and clouds, you know, beads and stuff like that on the side. And uh, his paintings actually were a little different. Uh, they were like abstract, um, not so much in New Orleans, uh, but. They were colorful, I guess. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Okay, so then you you go through your senior year of college, and then, well, at the end of the process, you ended up choosing? Dillard University. Uh, Well, Dillard Centenary wanted me to do, like, half academic, half athletic. And also, uh, my mom didn't really like the campus, they had like an antebellum day or something. Just like it was something weird that went on, you know, <laughs> at the school. So she was like, ah, you don't need to be, you don't need to be here or whatever. But um, but it also would have been difficult to, you know, keep a certain GPA in your first year of school and and play ball at the same time. So that wasn't, you know, I'm not saying I couldn't have done it, but you know. It wasn't a decided. It was one of the decided factors. Um, okay. NYU was recruiting me at the time as well, but they're Division three and they don't offer scholarships. So expensive. You have to have, yeah, it was expensive, and you have to have like your grades have to be like really, really good. I mean, mm-hmm. so I was applying. I was going through the process, trying to figure it out, and just end up being too much. 
Holy Cross, like I said, I didn't hear from them after too much. I mean, I heard from a little in my my senior year, but I think it was just because there was a lack of communication or something. Um, yeah, you were giving them the cold shoulder yeah. <laughs> unknowingly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that didn't happen. And um, Dillard University, it was funny because Dillard University is down the street from where I lived. I'd pass it every day to go to high school, pass it every oh. day passing by. Never thought I would ever go there. Uh, but the coach who there went to the same high school I went to. So he was familiar with our high school. So he would come to the games and, you know, he recruited me. And um, at the time it was the full, the only full scholarship that, you know, I was offered. Most of them were like half academic, half athletic. And, um, you know, I also explored SCAD um, Savannah College of Art and Design at the time. They were Division Three as well. So it was like, um, you know, try all the schools you think you might want to go to. And then, you know, Dillard, I was trying to find a school that had the art program as well or something I wanted to take. At the time, it was graphic design I thought I wanted to do, which I didn't necessarily want to do because it's not really the type of art that I you know, like doing, but you know, it could have been helpful. But um, so I was asking all the schools, they have graphic design, graphic design. Uh, Dillard didn't really have a great art program, uh, but they did offer me a full scholarship. So that's where I, I ended up choosing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you went your whole high school career without taking art, but then when you were selecting a university, that was like a, a top, you know, yeah. important for, for you. Yeah, it was crazy because, I mean, our high school, I mean, uh, at the time, it's not like, I don't know how high schools you, you are, where you grew up or whatever, but, and nowadays they're totally different because um, you can focus on, you know, certain uh, certain things like your career, kind of, you know, choose classes and stuff like that. But our high school was just basic. You take these classes, you take these classes this year, and next year you take this next thing. Everybody took the same thing. Um, I was in the A track, which was, you know, like we had 01, 02, 03, 04, and 05. So 01 was the the A track, 02 was B, 03 was C, 04, you know, and so forth. So um, we took, I guess, the more most advanced classes we could take at that were offered at the school at the time so um and i think i finished like seventh in my class dang we had a small class it was like almost 200 kids oh hey you're mr humble over there that's okay (laughs) that's awesome seven out of 200 or however many that's great yeah so after that um yeah it was just i took some art classes in the summer at a community college uh, so I could kind of, you know, get a, a head start uh, and actually have some some credits or, you know, some experience. Was it easy to balance um, your schedule, your school schedule in college with your basketball practices and whatnot? Because I'm, I'm imagining art classes and like, it's probably a, especially if you're creating something, that's a long, that's a big chunk of time, I would think. Uh, the first few years, not so much because uh, we took all of the basics. So it was like a history, art history, um, just learning uh, color theory, um, learning the process of everything. So we weren't necessarily creating anything the first couple of years. I say the first couple of years was more books, textbook work. Um, and it didn't start maybe till I say the second semester of sophomore year um, that we started to actually create things. And it wasn't like creating as in um, you create a show or, you know, you create artwork. It was more like learning techniques. So, you know, you're doing it because you have to do it, not because you like, oh, I want to create this, you know, kind of thing. Sure. So, the only time that that really happened, I say junior and senior year, they would give us more projects where we would uh, have to, you know, come up with a plan or project uh, and you know, a statement of what we wanted to do and then execute it. So 
and like for our senior art show, we had to do that as well. So the first few years wasn't too bad, but it wasn't bad as far as creating um, and taking up time. It was, it was, it was a good release, you know. Sure. Okay. So then uh, you get through college and you're, I don't know, probably at some point in your senior year, you're thinking about life afterwards. And I don't know who planted the idea in your head, or maybe it was you or you had former teammates, but you decide to uh, buy your luck overseas. Yeah. Um, I wanted to play professionally, um, I'd say since I was since I started playing basketball, since I was a kid. So I never, uh, I never had another idea of, uh, after seeing Grant Hill do that dunk, you were, you were hooked. (laughs) Exactly. I, that and Michael Jordan, um, I was, I wanted to be basketball player, you know, since, since then I never, never thought of anything Never thought I wanted to be anything else. Yeah. <laughs> since high, yeah. So since high school, I mean, since junior high, from when I started, on, you know, I had that in my my mind. Okay. But your first job overseas was that Spain? No, my first job overseas was um, was in England. I started in England. I played two years in England, and then um, and then I came then I came to Spain. Okay. So uh, that happens. So when I finished school, um, I had a few uh, inquiries. Uh, like my coach would get calls from teams and stuff like that. You know, D League teams or I don't even want to say NBA teams. It was more like I guess it's a process that scouts have to go through. Like they have to cover everything. So. Maybe they would call and talk about players and stuff like that, but I don't know if it was like specifically looking for for me or anything like that. Uh, I went to a few camps after after um, college to try and find uh, a place, try to get you know signed by somebody. So I went to a few showcase camps. Um, and one I went to was in uh, Florida. They gave us a list of agents and um, stuff like that. And my stepdad was living in in Tampa at the time, and he he spoke with the agent that was in Tampa, and um, and the the guy had a relationship with a team in England. So he, and he's actually about to get out the business. And he sent my tape to them. They liked it, and then I was able to to sign with them. But I had to do my own work. Pretty much out of school, I sent my tape. It was a tape at the time. Uh, wow, then, like a VHS tape? Well, yeah, I think, well, actually, I think it was, I had tapes, and then the DVDs started to come out. So it was more like a mixture. So I think I sent a tape a few times, but then I was able to convert them to DVD. <laughs> so, so I would send my DVD. Wow was at the time to a team and I also did like I would go on Eurobasket and I would copy and paste all of the emails from all the professional teams so I would go to each league France Germany Spain D-League USBL CBA because they had all these different leagues back then and uh, I would send like my profile and resume and say hey I'm an interested basketball player I'm trying to find out you know what I need to do. You know, here's my tape, my stats, resume, blah blah blah. Uh, can you help me? Or if you're looking for players, whatever. You know, so I sent that to like uh, hundreds of teams. So I would like send out emails every day. I sit in the computer, copy paste, copy paste, copy paste, and I just sent it. And um, you know, I got a lot of information back from teams that was helpful. Some of it was. Uh, also helpful because I would send it. Sometimes it would go to like the media person for the team. They're like, "Oh, you want to send it to this person?" Because I just film the games or you know something like that. So, um, so I got a lot of info back from them, and they also they were the ones that told me about all the the showcases and the camps and stuff. So that's how I got to the camp. You know that you know got me with the other agent. So I love uh, hearing I, this story. <laughs> How much Man, has changed? 
How much has changed? Yeah, it's crazy. A lot has changed since then. You could just put your link on 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 your Facebook page and, and right, YouTube, whatever. Yeah, you don't have to say hi. My name is you just Alfredo. I link. <laughs> right, but I give you a lot of credit for doing that and having that forward thinking and you know your own work, your own hard your time sent looking yeah. up all those emails sending them i mean you really wanted it yeah it was it was a process man because i know i mean i've known people uh that were looking for you know jobs as well and you know i was like i can't i can't wait <laughs> i need to just send all of this out you know and what happens happens because you know if you sit and wait you know you never will get you know, still sit and wait. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Okay, so you were in England for two years, and then after that, you came to Spain? Yeah, England two years, and after that, I came to Spain. I was in England first year with an agent. Second year, I didn't have an agent. So I went back to England by myself. So I mm -hmm. talked with the team, and I went back. I actually got the agent fee from my second year. Because nice. I didn't have an agent, so I asked them for the agent fee. I asked them for more coaching because... We would do coaching to make some extra money with kids. So they gave me like extra hours of coaching as well to kind of make it seem because the team I went to was like a development team. They would like to step up. So they didn't pay you more money the next year. Like they didn't, they didn't offer you more money. They were like, this is what we offer. You know, hopefully you can sign with another team from here. But we offer the same contract to everybody. So, right. you know, I had to find a way to make a little extra money because I didn't necessarily want to go back to England uh, but I didn't have an agent at the time so I was like I need to go back because I can't sit out a year you know so so I went back we went to the championship we won the championship I met my agent at the championship game he thought I was French I had a French passport because the camp that I went to asked have we ever been out of the country or did we have a passport I don't know how it got mixed up, but I, I had been to France to do a study abroad uh, my junior year, and I put that I'd been to France, you know. So I think somehow they thought that I had a French passport. So <laughs> on my Eurobasket profile, it says that I have a French passport and an American passport. So he assumed that I had a French passport, and that's why he came to me at first initially. And I was like, no, I don't have a French passport, but can we still work together? Because I want to get out of England. He's like, oh, don't worry. I, we'll work together. Just, you know, send me your info and we'll be in touch or whatever. So that's yeah, funny. He did, he did find me a job. Uh, All right. Outside. And give, give me a quick summary real quick as far as the different teams uh, you've been on in Spain over the last, what? Has it been 10 years in 12. Spain? 12. Yeah. Yeah, 12. It's, uh, well, so I started 2007 in Pamplona. Pamplona. Uh, in Le Bronze. So it was a bronze division. Actually, I got offered a job in Le Silver, but the Le Bronze team offered me more money. <laughs> so uh, I went to Bronze first. And that, that, does, that league doesn't even exist now, does it? It doesn't. And after the first offer I got was from Lebronio. But the team in Bronze offered me more. So I went to Bronze and Pamplona, uh, played there two years. It was like 45 minutes from Legronio. So yeah. guys that wanted me to come there, they could come see me play and all that kind of stuff. So so I played in Silver, I mean, in Bronze the first year. We move up to Silver, second year, um, played in Silver. I wanted to go back to Pamplona, but I would stay there. Uh, they didn't want to pay any more money or whatever. So the team in Legronio contacted me again. So I moved to Legronio for two more years, uh, made more money, which was good. Um, we made the playoffs both years or every year that I've been in the league so far. Um, played that two years. After that, we won the league my second year in Legronio. So we would move to gold. Um, I didn't move to go with the team because they wanted to play uh, the younger Spanish guy more minutes at the time it was Borja. And, you know, so they wanted to play more minutes. So they didn't ask me to come back with the team. So 
Oh, and they said they had budget problems, blah, 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 you know, all this other stuff. So I didn't continue with uh, Lagronia. They went to gold. I stayed in silver another year. I went to Aspathia, hmm. um, which is in the Basque country uh, near San Sebastian. I played there. had a really good year. I got MVP of the league. We hmm. made the playoffs. Um, after that year, I signed finally got an offer in gold. So I played in Palencia my first year in gold. And that was like 2012, 13. Uh, we made the playoffs with that team for the first time in their history. Um, actually hurt my wrist that year. Uh, I tore a ligament in the second quarter of the first playoff game. So I played the playoffs with like a cast and could barely drew with my left hand, blah, blah, blah. We made it to the second round. We lost. And I went home. I had surgery and went home. So I was recovering the whole summer, came back to Spain to get the screws taken out, went back home, and I was kind of waiting. Uh, with, and then Legronio asked me to come back and play for them. They were like, oh, the coach was like, oh, you know, I wish we had kept you, blah, blah, blah. We want you to come back to Legronio. And I was like, I know the city. I know the team. It wasn't – well, I'm not going to say anything about the coaches, but I – I went back to the team, uh, and um, so I signed with them. But it took a while. I got there. I missed the whole preseason. I missed the first uh, game of the season uh, because we had visa problems. So they did the visa stuff really late. So it actually gave me time to recover more with my wrist, too. So I guess it all worked out. So I played with them, made the playoffs first time in the Gronios, uh gold history we made the playoffs um after that i was gonna leave uh but they changed coaches uh that's when antonio came in antonio Pettis came in and um you know the general managers told me that he was stepping down i mean the coach told me he was stepping down as a coach and was going to be general manager which is jesus and uh so he became the general manager and then he brought antonio in so I was like, oh, it's like a fresh start, new coach. I already know the team, but it's new coach, so it's different. So I stayed two more years, um, and uh, we kind of we had a struggle with injuries, you know, those years. Um, so we didn't really we didn't make the playoffs those two years, but I guess I played pretty good uh, with the team or whatever. And um, I ended up leaving because of you know financial issues with the team. Um, so I left there. I went to Malia. It's 2016-17. Yep. Played Malia. Made the playoffs there. We had some injuries with that team. It was a veteran team, and I felt like we could have done a lot more with there with that team. Coach was a little different, but um... <laughs> yeah, that was a different experience altogether. I bet. I mean, that's you're on a different continent. Yeah, we flew to playing mechanically. It was an adjustment because uh, being in an airport all the time was, was different. Uh, so, you know, that happened. But it was a good experience for what it was worth. Uh, left Malia, went to Castellon, uh, which is on the, the East Coast. Um, so this was a, it was a great experience in Castellon. Made the playoffs for the first time in their team history, which was good. Uh, had a pretty good year individually there team wise um thought i'd be going back there too um they ended up signing a japanese player who's uh i guess his family had money or whatever so they're giving money to the team for him to be on it as well so they kind of he took up an american spot so they ended up choosing the money over you know trying to get our team back together so so he's still on the team. I think he had like a three-year contract or something. I don't know. But so they're getting money from him, and he's on the team. So I didn't return to Castellon. And that's when uh, I ended up signing Orense. Funny thing is, at first I didn't want to go to Orense because it was so far away from all the places I've played. And it was like, I can't visit anybody if I want to visit anybody. <laughs> So it was it was weird, and all I heard was oh, it rains in Galicia all the time, and it's just you know blah blah blah. I was like, oh, this is not where I want to be. <laughs> but when I signed here, it was uh, 
it was it was a pleasant surprise. Like um, the people here are really nice. Um, I met with a lot of people um, in the art community, um, and the team has been really helpful. Uh, the president is cool. Um, you know, they appreciate people that you know give efforts. Um, so last year was pretty good for us. We went to the final four in the playoffs last year, um, which is really big for us because we didn't, they didn't expect us to do that last year. And um, so we played we played really well, um, but we lost in the final four, re-signed, um, and I think I will be here until I retire. Uh, I would like to. Um, this year has been a little bit of a struggle. We've been up and down. We've struggled with defense and stuff like that. So, you know, we had a little moment where we needed to make a turning point. Uh, so, you know, we, we're, we're working on things right now. Well, I can only imagine that clubs are happy with you, Fredo, because you work hard, you have a good attitude, um, you've learned Spanish. And besides the fact that you integrate yourself well into the community and you find your niche with the art uh, community, I mean, teams have got to be just incredibly happy with you. Um, you're a good teammate. You know, you're not the maybe the stereotypical American that maybe is just kind of going to the beat of his own drum, but you really do a good job of relating to the people that you're around. So far, so good. <laughs> I'm not gonna yeah. Lie, but, uh, yeah, I mean... The thing for me is, you know, um, no, I might not be the stereotypical American, um, but I, I try to make sure that I give an effort, you know, and then, you know, when I do feel bad is when, you know, I don't feel like I'm playing up to my standard or I'm not contributing the way that I feel like uh, I can contribute because um, you can get complacent in a role you know, and, and not, I don't want to say not remember your roots, but like not remember why you're here, you know, and kind of just get comfortable. And, you know, it is, it's happened before, you know, um, and you don't want to get that feeling because uh, at the end of the day, you know, I mean, there's other people, maybe a younger player on a team that, you know, that I was on, uh, that took my place. Maybe he would have gotten cut, you know, at a certain time because he wasn't performing or something like that. But I think now that I'm older, you know, I might get the benefit of the doubt more because I'm, I've been here a long time. They know what I'm capable of. And, and I'm a veteran. Uh, so, but I, I don't want to feel like I'll never be in that position, you know. So for me, it's more been like um, just, making sure that I remember, you know, why I'm here uh, and try to stay focused and try to keep working hard, you know, all the time because, um, you know, your roles change with teams and, you know, you know what, you, I mean, I was other years, you know what you're capable of, you know, you can do more and you want to do more. And then when you're not, you know, you kind of get, you know, out of sync and um you know that's the thing i think a lot of players struggle with sometimes you know because the coach could be playing you then the next minute they couldn't be playing you and then you know you're getting the ball and then you're not getting the ball or you're playing a lot but you're not in any situations where you can be effective and then they're looking at you like well, why you know, aren't you performing or why aren't you giving us what you need because I'm not involved. <laughs> you know, you run a play for this player, everybody stand watches, stand and watches, then I'm running, you run up and down the court a few times, you don't touch the ball, and then you, you know, and you can't really do anything about it individually because then you, you're out of your character. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, battle you know to stay yourself and not be out of yourself I mean sometimes you have to step out of yourself to to advance or to be you know I guess more aggressive or you know certain times but there are certain times where you kind of just if you step out then it's only more detrimental so you know you have to find that balance you know 
mm-hmm. with yourself and the team to try to figure it out. What would you tell young players who are thinking about starting a career overseas? Because just because you're really good in the States doesn't necessarily mean you're going to come overseas and be successful because the style is different, because there's just cultural changes. Um, what would you tell them? Like what type of mentality should they have when they come over and they try to uh, start their career overseas? I would say what they need to do is um, just try to absorb as much as they can. Um, absorb all the information you can because the more you're capable of, the more you need it. So, like, and don't be one dimensional. Like, um, I mean, one dimensional, like, if you're a shooter, I would say, you know, shoot because that's what they got you here for. Do that. But I would say it's best to know how to do more things because then you can be more of value um, to teams. And um, so that's the way if you're not having a good shooting day, you can still play because you can still contribute, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I would say. Be more of a chameleon uh, as possible as you can. Um, and in the beginning, your early years, if, and if you can continue it on, don't think too much. Just play play the game the way you know you play and then if they correct you then take that and add it to what what you already know um but don't try to cater to uh, to the coaches right away when you first come over here because then once you start getting a thinking game then you kind of you might lose you know your your yourself you know and it's i think it's easier just to not think and play and i think a lot of players play better when they don't think as much uh mm-hmm. because they're having fun and then you know if you're going full you know going hard uh it's easier to correct that than somebody who's thinking a lot you know mm-hmm. um another question i have for you before we start wrapping this up this uh, podcast is called Another Season in the Books, which has, you know, a double meaning, meaning another season has come and gone. It's in the books. And then as well as another season in the books, as far as studying and playing professionally at the same time, you have now seen both systems, the European system and the American system. And you've played on a lot of different teams in a couple different countries. Um, do you... Looking back at all the teams that you've been on, have you had a lot of teammates who are either in high school or even maybe taking college classes who are also able to balance both playing professionally and studying? Over here, uh, there's quite a few players that do both. The differences between the two systems, because in the States, when you're in college, it's technically easier because your professors have to let you go to away games. They have to change your test date if you're not there. But in Europe, it's not always like that. Yeah. Yeah. These guys have to practice um, when the coaches say, and then they have to figure out when they can do their, their, their studies because they're not catering to to their studies uh, per se. Um, so they have to find the time themselves to do the work and still um, be available for, for the professional team as well. And also the style of play is different. It's more demanding um, because it is longer. Uh, it's a long period of time to be away. It's a long period of time to be with a group of people and I kind of say do the same thing over and over, but it's it can become mundane at, at certain points for some of the younger folks. And even if you're away from home, uh, that's another thing. So sometimes at college, you know, you may be with your friends or people you know. Um, but here, a lot of times, the younger guys that are studying, they're with older players, and they may be the youngest guy on the team, and they don't have anybody necessarily to relate to. So they go to practice, they go home by themselves. They can't go out because they don't have a car. You know, they 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 just kind of just in their own world. So uh, it's tough for some some guys. Um, but you know, it's everybody takes it differently. Um, some people look at it as uh, an opportunity. Some people look at it as oh, I'm away from home. It's a struggle. So it just depends on how how you look at it, and what your objective is, um, because. For some people, it's a great opportunity. For others, they can't deal with it and they need to be in a, yeah. in a more comfortable uh, situation. 
I've heard some people say that the European system does a better job of um, preparing guys for life uh, after, as far as meaning like Luka Doncic and Ricky Rubio, ever since they were really, really young, they were playing against grown men. And so then, you know, now they're in the NBA and in the American system, you know, if you're 18, you're playing with people that are oldest, maybe 23, 24. And so taking that next step to playing professionally is maybe a little bit more difficult because you're not used to playing with, you know, these older guys. Um, But at the same time, the studies are easier to, to balance in the United States. If you had to pick, like if you had to go back and say, I'd rather grow up in the European system or in the American system, would you choose one over the other? I mean, obviously you're, you're not honest, neutral, but. Yeah, well, to be honest, I, I probably would pick the U.S. system just only because we get to grow up around people our own age and we get to have the interaction with people our age of the same sex and opposite sex. So it's, um, I think it's, it's better socially. Um, as far as, I mean, after finishing school and now playing overseas, um, I, I do admire the system that they have. Um, and most of the players that uh, get to take advantage of this are the really, really good players. So I wouldn't say right. that it's been so great for all of them, but I do like the fact that they do get to play against professional players mm-hmm. at a young age. So if I could have done that, um, you know, my 18 to 22 uh, playing against professional players, that would have been amazing, you know, for my pro- progress, you know, I would have, you know, made a lot of advances, you know, faster. So I do admire that that part about it. But I do like the the, the fact that we get to study and socialize and develop at the same time mm-hmm. altogether. Okay. All right. And a couple more quick questions. Um, are you superstitious before your games? No, I'm not superstitious. The most thing, the most I'll do is take a nap, a long nap, uh, the day before the day of the game. But okay. other than that, not too many superstitions, no. Okay. And what number do you wear right now? I wear 21. 21. Have you always worn that number? No. Uh, I started with 23 because Michael Jordan wore 23 in high school. Then... My a teammate of mine, my best one of my friends on the team, wanted Kevin Garnett's number, which was 21, and he was a clown. So <laughs> our coach didn't want him to have 21 because then he would be at practice every day. Oh, Kevin Garnett, Kevin Garnett on a big ticket. So he knew that he would act a fool every day at practice. So he said, no, you can't have 21. So I ended up switching with him, and I got 21, and he got 23. So from then on, I've had... 21 and then obviously when you get to Europe back in the day you could only have 4 through 15 so I had 5 and 12 uh, 21 backwards uh, a few years so okay but ever since I've been 21 <laughs> all right and then as an american when you come overseas is there any food product that you have to bring in your suitcase that you know that you won't be able to get no there, i haven't brought anything that i need but there are certain times of the year that are things that I want that I can't get. And I can't bring it with me because it's not available at the time that I leave. So, like, King Cake is a Mardi Gras dessert cake that they have in, in New Orleans. And it's only available during carnival time. Eggnog is another thing that I used to like. <laughs> Eggnog. Christmas time. <laughs> and so I couldn't bring those things. Uh, the other stuff I can kind of recreate and kind of make, you know, the seasonings i can put together something to make it taste similar but okay and and lastly now you are playing but during the week you are very busy artistically you were telling me earlier that you have to work on some art today yes uh so in my free time when i'm not thinking about uh losing the game or (laughs) or what i need to do better with the team uh i try to do um my artwork so i've made connections with people in the city and been trying to find places to, to uh, show my work. And um, so I do have a few uh, places where I will be able to show my work, but I have to do some work 
to show. So do you have a favorite, um, like what's your style or what would you say are your favorite things to paint? I'm assuming animals, but you do do portraits sometimes. Yeah, I do do portraits sometimes. Um, I do animals and I do sports stuff. So I say it's a mixture of nature sports and portraits. Um, and I do the abstract things that I do are organic. So they, they include like stuff from nature or stuff from sports or, you know, um, I, I do a little bit of everything, but, um, that's what, you know, my, and if people want to, if people want to see your art, where can they go? Uh, they can go on my Instagram page at planet underscore art. Um, that's my Instagram page. Planet underscore art. Okay. Yes. Well, Fredo, I thoroughly appreciate your time today. It's been great learning even more about you. And um, I wish you the best of luck in your upcoming games. Thank you for having me. Good luck with the podcast, another season in the books. And good luck today with your game. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, it's time for me to take a nap. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, I'm sorry. <laughs> Watching Fredo play, you'd never guess he was 37 years old. He's still incredibly fast, jumps well, and defends all the youngsters as if he was from their same generation. I think Fredo is a great example of professionalism. He eats well, he stays away from alcohol, he trains throughout the summer, takes care of bumps and bruises, and keeps his mind healthy and active by challenging himself not only on the court, but off the court as well constantly growing his art portfolio and expanding his talents as an artist. He's a go-getter and makes his own luck by working hard, being persistent, seeing the big picture, and keeping his mind and motivation going in the right direction by never losing touch with the why behind his actions. And that wraps up another week on the podcast, Another Season in the Books. I'm Leslie Knight, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Before I go, I have to give a shout out to the Spanish women's national team who just sealed their ticket to the Olympic Games by defeating Great Britain. Felicidades, chicas. The USA women's team will also be playing in Tokyo this summer. I can't wait to see all of them compete. Well, until next week, everyone. Cuidaros mucho. Take care. Ciao.